Hello and welcome to episode 251 of the Crate and Crowbar. It is the 22nd of August 2018. My name is Chris Thurston and tonight I'm joined by Tom Francis. Hello. And Philippa War. Hi. Hello everybody. A nice relaxing day far, far away from Gamescom <laughs> for all of us. Mm. Yeah, it looked like a horrific crush. <laughs> it always is. It always is. It's the sweatiest place on earth for the magical week <laughs> that it spans. But it's over now and it has furnished us with... A lot of trailers, a lot of trailers for is things. I think it's over. Every, I know, you, you know, it's over because the, the, the journalists return home. I like thought pigeons. It had tomorrow, because Tom's not here. Everyone's gotten, maybe it is still going. It would make sense Probably if it's still going. By the time people hear this, it'll be over. Yeah, by the time you listen to this, it'll definitely be over. Okay, I just suddenly. But you're right, Pip. It might still be going. I it's just got the wrong end of the stick with where everyone was. Yeah. Right now. <laughs> well, maybe I have. Maybe both ends of the stick are wrong and it's the center of the stick that's desirable. Maybe everyone went to a party in Cologne and just didn't invite us. <laughs> that's, that's also very possible. I've just, oh. I've, I've made seen some a lot game of, trailers to cover it up. <laughs> I've seen a lot of tweets of like very sleepy people f- tweeting like, oh, thank God that's over. But they may have just been referring to Tuesday. <laughs> mm. Well, because so, it splits into two parts, doesn't it? There's DevCom and then there's Gamescom. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. DevCom 1. DevCom Because I thought it was only open to the public from today. Mm. You're probably right because today is, is Wednesday. Wednesday. Yeah. So by the time people listen to this, it'll actually be in full swing. I guess the newsy part of Gamescom is over. <laughs> That'll be it. That'll be what people are referring to. I don't I think. think anyone Probably. will really care. And this will have just been a load of wasted clarification. Well, look, <laughs> you know, we've got to find the content wherever it will emerge. <laughs> and uh, this is, happens to be where it was. So um, in terms of Gamescom um, things, I think we can safely skip over new trailers for Battlefield and Assassin's Creed and things like that, because there's just a lot of them. And you look at them and you go, yeah. And I did. And I did. Um, but I did think it was interesting that uh, Supermassive Games, who made Until Dawn for the PlayStation, are uh, doing a anthologized horror game series. I saw this because uh, I think Sam Barlow uh, tweeted about it. And I think it's a neat idea. It is called, he said, turning around, because in the space between looking at this moment before starting recording and this very moment, I've forgotten what it's called. It is called The Dark Pictures which is a horror anthology series, uh, which begins with a game called The Man of Medan. Um, is an anthology series like an episodic thing? Or? So it sounds like, yeah, it sounds like a series of horror games in the format that Until Dawn used, but probably shorter, but each one a new thing rather than like, you know, a epi- like an, when we think of like an episodic game, you traditionally mean a continuation of one story rather yeah. than like, yeah. I wonder if it means possibly in the style of Edith Finch. Um, I, I, to me that felt like an anthology. Yeah, that, that is, that is, I think that is an anthology within a game, whereas this is going to be lots of separate releases, if that makes sense. All right. But yeah, if, if that makes sense, like, uh, yeah, I'd agree with you. Edith Finch is totally an anthology of stories. Um, but which yeah. one was Until Dawn? <laughs> Until Dawn was the one where it was the, a very divisive kind of cabin in the woods, not as in like the film, as in literally as a cabin in the woods, mm. um, like sort of teen horror movie where you control different teenagers and it's sort of a little bit survival horror, but not a lot more choose your own adventure style. Was it the one you didn't like? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's the thing. So I really like this idea because I like the idea of, uh, using anthology formats, like taking advantage of an engine or a technology and telling lots of different stories with it, I think mm. is a good, 
um, a good thing. And to clarify, the things I didn't like, I didn't like about Until Dawn was the way the technology was used necessarily and not the technology, not the, not the, the structure itself. Like the notion of a sort of, I mean, it's essentially a little bit like uh, Life is Strange, which we'll get to that kind of branching kind of story format. Um, but so skipping from character to character to tell different sides of a, of a story. I didn't like it in Until Dawn because I felt like it was quite sort of prescriptive in some ways and sort of encouraged you to game the system or lose ownership over the decisions. Um, and maybe I thought it was actually a criticism. I think it genuinely doesn't stand up to is that I thought it was over long for what it was doing. So this, uh, you know, so I'm, I'm willing to, to, you know, as someone who likes horror stuff, like give it another go for, uh, for this kind of thing. The first one is, about a spooky ghost ship full of zombies <laughs> and some American teenagers have managed to get onto that somehow. They get everywhere. <laughs> so there was also on the subject of horror, there was, um, that Bioshock you on, uh, the sunk, sunken city, the sinking city, the mm. drowning city. <laughs> Anyone know which wet one it city. is? <laughs> the city that repeatedly gets wet. Uh, it's a kind of, um, just a CGI trailer of uh, like a guy in a, um, old timey streets uh who then finds the sea kind of falling down from the sky basically and um uh that's rain Tom. turning everything <laughs> <laughs> that's extremely heavy rain imagine the heaviest possible rain um david cage has got nothing on this uh and then he gets stacked by some tentacles and then he wakes up and it all loops over again in a very prey like way um so it's literally nothing we haven't seen before every single element of it is from something else but um it is very stylish speaking of uh everything we've seen before is in something else the one thing i thought there's a slight maybe a slight cock up in the trailer for man of medan is right at the very very end like i think i don't know when this ship went missing but i'm assuming like the 20s or something and uh like a spooky lady approaches this man's shoulder and she's dressed, dressed as sort of you know very elegantly and then she turns into a scary zombie then cut to black and then the very faint very faint kind of 20s bit of swing music in the background but in a kind of spooky underwater way and i feel like you can do plenty of things with the sea and there can be different music in the sea the, the spooky music that plays under the sea doesn't necessarily have to be like an old kind of dancehall classic heard mm-hmm. as if underwater in a scary way that has <laughs> been really specifically done Mm-hmm. Uh, but I feel that way about this, the use of the same thing in Fallout now. I feel like if you're in the apocalypse, yeah. you're also not allowed to use the 50s records anymore. Yeah. Like, you know, find a new thing for people to be into. Podcasts. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so. 90s garage. Yeah, exactly. Why not? <laughs> That'd be great. It's like Craig David blasting out in yeah. like outer space. I guess Craig David are... comes up an unusual amount on this podcast. It feels like the 80s has become a kind of trendy theme in mm. Um, mm. recent releases, like uh, that boss key um, game that wasn't very successful. Lawbreakers. <laughs> the radical one. Heights. The free radical, <laughs> the one radical, heights. radical Heights. I should have been more specific, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then the one that looks exactly like Simon's Darlin' Hogs art, but isn't from Avalanche. Oh, yeah. Uh, zero something, Generation Zero. Yeah. Mm. Um, it's also 80s. I'd argue that cyberpunk is profoundly 80s, as in <laughs> that specific interpretation of what cyberpunk means. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, you're right. And then before that, the use of 80s music in Metal Gear 5. As in, you know, oh, yeah. when you're going to pick your innocuous pop music to go with your murder setting, <laughs> then you, you've got a, a wide range to Incongruous, use. Incongruous, probably. Mm. 
I'm just thinking I wouldn't call the choices innocuous. But that was just because I, I find it interesting. Mm. I remember <laughs> being horribly offended when I, I loved the Fallout 3 soundtrack and uh, listened to it outside of the game. And I did so by extracting all the MP3 files. And I was listening to it and thinking, man, I really love this one track. It's my favorite track. And the file name was generic underscore jazzy dot MP3. Oh, like the generic one. <laughs> did it turn out to be something else that they just named? As- I think it is, yeah, because okay. there's, there's some stuff that I'm pretty sure like has you know vocals and stuff that I think is a real song. And I think some, I don't know which, uh, what role this, this person would have held on the team, but there's someone who's like intentionally named these things stuff that the designers could understand as to when sh- they should play it and something mm. like that. Right, I see. Yeah. So this is when the situation is generic. Of course, for jazz. <laughs> you can play this kind of jazzy thing anytime. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to think, what else was the, the news we were going to talk about? Oh, yeah, we could talk about uh, a few things, actually. We could talk about the Life is Strange 2 trailer. Mm. Um, Pip, what did you make of Life is Strange 2? Um, it's still strange. It's one of those ones where, like... I'm sort of reserving judgment and I will probably do so unless I have to write about it until <laughs> at least halfway through the series because I remember the trajectory of the original one. Mm. So, uh, and having played Captain Spirit, it, it's, it really highlighted to me that if you don't happen to be on the exact emotional frequency that the game demands of you or not the exact but it's um it if if you don't quite entirely mesh with it it will rub you up the wrong way Mm. a lot and so because the first one really suited me and captain spirit didn't quite so Mm. i had very different experiences with with each of them. So I, I really want to see what they've done and I want to see sort of a, a different dynamic play out with, with two people and it looks like it will explore some very different issues. Um, I, it's one of those ones where I don't know how they will do on that front. Yeah. So if you haven't seen the trailer, <laughs> it's the new one is about two brothers, one of whom's like teenage, the other one's pretty young who are escaping something and trying to hitchhike from Seattle to Mexico, um, which is a neat setup. And I think the younger brother or the older brother or both of them have some kind of power, but the trailer doesn't make it obvious what the power necessarily is. Is it explained why they're not considering Canada as a refuge? <laughs> it seems closer. From I think Seattle. whatever they've done is probably also like, I don't know. Like maybe the bad thing is Canada. <laughs> yeah. Maybe, maybe they're th- fleeing the Canadian border, which is slowly descending. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, indeed. <laughs> Like a tidal wave, <laughs> yeah. but you know, of I maple mean, syrup. <laughs> it does say life is strange. This would be a strange thing to happen. <laughs> I haven't played the first games. So I don't really know what their kind of parameters are. <laughs> well, I mean, the, the, famously the first one ends, well, the first one is about this um, approaching storm and this kind of apocalyptic event, which will converge at some point. Maybe the approaching storm in, in game two is represented by the nation of Canada, <laughs> gradually descending and thus forcing these boys to flee south with their <laughs> newspaper mind powers. I don't know what was going on there. Um, I also was uh, responding to emails while it was playing in the background. So okay. I think I only saw, you know, I, I just wanted to make sure that I'd sort of glimpsed it. but And I wasn't not 
watching because I was distracted. It's because I kind of have an awkward relationship with spoilers mm-hmm. or with knowing yeah, yeah. much of anything about that kind of game. Mm-hmm. I, I, I want to go in as fresh as possible while still being able to do my job and commission things, you know? Right, so it's, yeah. it's that kind of like watching through half paying attention. I was going to ask if anything stood out to you as an obvious link with Captain Spirit, because I couldn't say anything. Yeah. Um, I mean, if you... I haven't played Captain Spirit, so, but like, obviously... The, the two boys who are in it mm. crop up in passing. Right. But, I mean, I, yeah. Okay, that's fine then. Or at least unless I'm making stuff up and remembering so hideously wrong that <laughs> all of my opinions are null and void. But yeah, they, I do believe they, they live next door. Right, <laughs> to, that makes complete sense your then. boy. Um, your boy, Chris. <laughs> what up, YouTube? <laughs> um, the... Uh, Yes, I couldn't make out what your, cause obviously Life Strange 1 is all about time travel and being able to rewind to do conversations differently, which is a perfect fit for the kind of branching dialogue choice adventure game that it is. And this one, so there's a moment where your boy, different boy, your other Chris, <laughs> he looks at a newspaper and the newspaper says something like police tragedy. And then he's in that story. And I don't know whether it was like a cinematic device to say that he's remembering causing this police tragedy or if his power is to like dive into newspapers and make them about him, <laughs> which sounds like a terrible, terrible superpower. I can make anything about me. <laughs> How much like Harry Potter's photos was it? Well, not a lot because he was sort of inside it, like as in it became the scenario that he was okay. playing, he was experiencing rather than mm. just being a photo with a man, but a wizard in it. Certainly sounds like a video game device. It really does. It? Like <laughs> being able to pick up a piece of evidence and go like, tell me your secret yeah. piece of evidence Flashback. Uh, was in, I think, Murdered Soul Suspect, where you're a ghost. Mm. Ugh. That was bad, that game. That wasn't good at all. Um, I am... Um... I'd be really, really into reading really fun books if that was my superpower. Yeah, you'd just just... live in the Hundred Acre Wood if that was your superpower. (laughs) Well, I don't know whether I... I don't... mm, I don't know. I don't know if there'd be a house for me. I'd have to live with... (laughs) I'd have to live with one of the existing animals, and I think that might be a problem. I think... (laughs) Particularly their awkward lodger. (laughs) I don't think I'd... I mm, I think that living in the Hundred Acre Wood would probably be the quickest way to stop liking the Hundred <laughs> Acre Wood because you'd yeah. either live with you know you'd have to live with like what rabbit, well maybe or owl or maybe that's why yeah. they're attempting to escape to Mexico because of the thick woodland of of both the Pacific <laughs> Northwest and Canada that's is true. is is too strongly redolent of the time they spent lost <laughs> in that's the, the Hundred Acre Wood. Of owl. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, I think I feel like we've written a very different game to the one that we've almost <laughs> certainly made. We won't know until uh, the end of September, is it, when it's out? Yeah, episode one is out at least. About the 20th, 20th 27th, mm. one of them. Anyone remember Cryostasis? Yes, which one was that? It was the <laughs> so cool... <no. laughs> um, uh, you're on a frozen ship and your power is when you find a corpse, you can go, you can embody them and reset yes, their final moments. But the interesting twist on it was that uh, you were in control of their final moments and if you played out differently to how it originally played out, you'd change the future as well. So, like, you would um, you could avoid their death completely and then the body isn't there or you could change something before they die that you don't have the opportunity to change in the mm. present and then it would change your situation. <laughs> wasn't there an X-Files episode that... It wasn't exactly that, but it was that you could 
look at a photo of someone's retina and see the uh, last thing they saw. That is a plot point in the Exiles and Wild Wild West. <laughs> in, wiki Wiki Wild Wild West. Yes. It's on the Wild Wild West wiki. <laughs> uh, as in Fringe. A <laughs> In Fringe, all windows record all audio that's happened in the room, like, and you can play it like a record, because it's in, like, because oh, like, it's all vibrations, and glass is technically a liquid, and therefore there's little grooves, and you that can is, just That would be the worst audio diary <laughs> thing for, a, like, an immersive sim ever. <laughs> just use the window. <laughs> yeah. See, I think I've watched pretty much all of Fringe, and I don't remember anything that happened, except that guy who's in that other thing was in it. <laughs> and I don't mean Anatov or Pacey from Dawson's Creek. Uh, John Noble? Yes. The but, old guy? Yeah, but yeah, what else great. has he been in? I can't uh, Lord of the Rings. Um, he's in uh, he Sherlock. In not Sherlock. What's the Elementary. One? Yeah, the good yes. one. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, that's it. That's what I was thinking of as well. Mm. Good. What were we talking about? Uh, Wiki Wiki Wild Wild West, Gamescom, being able to see things through a dead person's eyes. I've got some more on that subject. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Return of the Obra Dinn is another game where oh, you yeah. are on a ship full of oh, corpses yeah. and, uh. God, we're just really like going around this theme. So <laughs> ships full of bodies. Every time someone mentions that game, I get the Beatles stuck in my head because of Obra Dinn, Obra Dinn. <laughs> <laughs> life doesn't go on if any of the corpses in this no. boat. Oh. Uh, in that game, I believe you can't change the past, but you can relive uh, someone's final moments. And your job is just to find out how everyone died. And you have a ledger in which you write it down once you've figured it out. Mm. Right. And uh, I'm very excited about that. It's in can one you write bit anything color. You want? I, I don't think... <laughs> I can't remember. I've played it. I've played a demo of it that where you, um, that mechanic is in. Mm. And I feel like... It might even be multiple choice. I can't remember. Right. Um, well, if they know, why don't they answer? Uh, like, with the game, it's not like a person interviewing you. It's <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's, I get so annoyed with multiple choice questions because you're just like, okay, well, this is this is a test. This is well, yeah. a, 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 a <laughs> usually are in tests. Yes. No, but you know what I mean. It's not like a kind of like personal satisfaction thing. <laughs> it's like, oh wow, I don't know where I'm going with this. But I'm just dog agreed with you. I'm better at spotting a fake out answer than I am actually remembering the subject matter. So yeah, I yeah. often do well at multiple choice. <laughs> I think when you started talking, because I never got around to playing the um, the demo that um, went up, it when you started talking, I started thinking of it more as like a Sam Barlow her story type arrangement where mm. you you know figure things out, but for mm. your own amusement. And then you said multiple choice, and I instantly went, "Well, that wasn't what I agreed to when I started imagining things." I can't remember quite how it works. I feel like when you have it right, it sort of ticks it off, and you know, oh, okay. like it's ma- it's a magic book. Um, but this is from Lucas Pope, who did Papers Please, and it's in one mm. bit color, which is kind of amazing. So it's all like the famously unpolitical Papers Please. <laughs> yes, um, it's the same green color as Mr. Skeleton's plant pot. It is, yeah. That is a really dense reference. Oh, that's not going to help anyone. No, is it? <laughs> for the podcast that we're recording, uh, Pip is referring to my succulent. The reason her name is Mr. Skeleton is because of a mishearing of a character in the very good film Jupiter Ascending. That is all you need to know about the story of why my succulent is called that um that's uh, and that's all the podcast we've got time for. Uh, <laughs> uh well on that bombshell well on uh on talking about it we talked about corpses in boats and episodic stuff mm-hmm. so let's talk about hitman briefly oh yeah because there was some news about this which is sort of interesting uh, which is that hitman 2 um but not the first hitman 2 hitman 2 2 is going to include all of the hitman episodes 
from season not, one. From season one, not Hitman one. Of Hitman, which is not Hitman one. Yeah. <laughs> um, but that means that so it's happy. The next him. Hitman will include all the stuff from the last Hitman. That's a much faster <laughs> way of saying what I just said, Tom. Thank you very much. And with, like, it's got to have some, some kind of improvements like AI and, I don't know, new sneaking methods and stuff. And that'll all be kind of backfitted into the, into the season one stuff. Yes. Um, and this is interesting because. <laughs> <laughs> Leaving that to me, huh? Uh, <laughs> You're the hitman man. Uh, well, I can't help thinking, uh, um, I can't help trying to see the angle behind it. Like, it's cool. I'm, I'm excited. I'm glad they're doing it, but I could, it's like IO, um, sort of parted ways with Square Enix. Hit, last Hitman game was published under Square Enix and that it was kind of dropped by Square Enix and then they sort of struck some kind of deal where they're able to go independent and still own all of Hitman. And I just wondered if there's something about like the deal they have for the previous Hitman, like they're still bound by their old contract where Square Enix get X percent or whatever. And so it's extra good for them if they can just kill that game. Like no one ever buys Hitman 1, or hit, last Hitman yeah, yeah. ever again. And they only ever buy Hitman 2 where I assume I get all the money. Um, mm. That was my my sort of slightly paranoid theory on it, that which sense. is not not a bad thing, even if that's true. I think it's kind of cool. Yeah, yeah. I like that. So the, the main up thrust of this is in addition to the levels, all of the features from the new one are backloaded into the previous one. Mm. Um, the standout one for me being that AI characters now understand mirrors, mm. <laughs> uh, which is actually genius. Like I'm surprised that a stealth game hasn't considered that before. Like as an environment, as an environmental hazard that is everywhere that poses meaningfully changes the stealth layout of a room mirrors that bounce vision cones backwards is actually something <laughs> that I'm surprised not to have seen. Yeah. Does I it think, work with, with all shiny surfaces, like spoons? And I think things? it's just mirrors, but that's okay. the thing. You should extend it to, like, shiny car doors. You saw me in a spoon. Yeah. <laughs> like, there's this guy, like, well, you know, at this reason. point in his patrol, he holds up a spoon and goes, ooh, <laughs> look at how shiny that spoon is. Oh, a murderer's in it. A murderer with a really thin and then really wide face. <laughs> <laughs> I hope this is fun in practice, because it's a good movie scene where, like, the, the hero is look, looking at themselves in the mirror and they glimpse the villain coming up behind them and it's a great shot if you get the right angle right but when you're in the third person camera usually looking kind of down and at the floor mm. it might be just really confusing like what well, happened they'd, they'd have to have some bizarre kind of like explanation that actually all people in hitman see in that way they all see in the third person down at the floor so the mirrors are kind of like <laughs> floor level um but yeah but maybe the paris level is full of like bathrooms with like floor to ceiling mirrors in them. So which are previously the best murder spots because no one could understand what a mirror was, but now, now what could be the worst? So that's, uh, that's that. The other news that I thought was fun, uh, was that Dota International has started this week. I'm not going to bang on about Dota too much, but, uh, as a surprise, uh, today, at the time of recording this, they, uh, released a Gabe Newell mega kills announcer pack, um, which they put together presumably very quickly. Um, where if you load it, it comes free with the compendium, which is, or the battle pass, which is seven quid or something. Um, and it means that whenever multi kills and things happen in the game, Gabe Newell talks about that. Um, and I was going to say, you know, I think Tom, when we were talking about this earlier, briefly, you said that, you know, it's sort of a, a sort of break of decorum, I think. Yeah. It's very rare for them to, um, you know, they're well aware of the, of Gabe sort of being a human meme in the, yeah. in the wider internet, but they almost never play into it. Like he's very reserved. He's very serious. He, um, uh, he's known for sort of randomly replying to emails. Like he will just sort of email some complete stranger, um, just cause they asked a question at just the right time and you happen to see it. 
But other than that, it's usually a, a bit of a closed book. And this is a rare uh, example of them just sort of fully owning it and just saying, yes, Gabe is funny. <laughs> but the thing is, he delivers everything completely straight and yeah. with almost not no enthusiasm, but that very measured, like, the, obviously there's jokes that have been written for him and he delivers them and they're funny because he's not trying to deliver them. He's just saying them. Yeah. But like, I mean, there's a, if you get a rampage, which is killing the entire enemy team, he says, um, email me at gayben at valvesoftware.com to tell me about your rampage. And like Dota Red at the moment is full of people tweeting his replies to their emails. <laughs> <laughs> and it's clear that he's just using whatever the kind of Google auto email reply thing is. Like, Excellent. Great job. Fantastic. Um, Sure, like works that. for me. There's a few good, there's a few good gags in it. There's, um. I can't do Tuesday. How about? Has <laughs> Google ever said that? <laughs> really specific replies. It's... Actually, I can't because I'm down with dysentery. <laughs> <laughs> they, when the email about who's available for the podcast comes around, sometimes I get options to say, actually, I can't do that day. Huh. It's quite generic, but it's, you know, uh, you know, that'll be one of the options. It's, you know, yes, great sorry i can't do that because blah 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 <laughs> i must so, be very positive because i feel like it always gives me three ways to say yes to things <laughs> it's just like sure yeah can do or no problem um does it also then give you a sorry i didn't make your thing <laughs> like, you know like it depends whether it yeah like you're actually <laughs> a positive person that goes to things whether you're a positive person in the moment but you can't make good on them whether you're like me who apparently is like oh i'm always looking for a loophole <laughs> or whether it's like i won't turn up and then i suddenly change my mind it would be great to see like a google suggestion that's like uh sorry i didn't go to that i only committed to it because google made it so easy to say yeah. yes <laughs> <laughs> the worst one is when you get like i can't email it was a couple weeks ago now but like something genuinely sad that happened to somebody doesn't like i can't you know and then one of the google responses was oh no <laughs> it's like they should if it's smart enough to detect that this is like one of those like oh yeah. no or i'm sorry to hear that and it's like if, if it's smart enough to detect that the email contains something that would be either apologized for or commiserated it shouldn't offer you autocomplete options yeah. like it should it should just be for like positive things only and positive and neutral only but that's a different issue you mean it shouldn't just pop up with the cry face emoji yeah exactly <laughs> like sad trombone dot wav um like um, i wonder if there is someone who's in a position where they regularly get people i suppose like <laughs> a funeral director or something like where just almost every email is that but if so, you email maybe, the funeral director and they just replied back oh no oh, no <laughs> maybe they reply with um generic jazz <laughs> <laughs> generic underscore jazz. generic underscore remorseful <laughs> um there's a few good gags in the game Neil pack. Uh, he will never say the word three or the mm. number three. Mm. So if you get triple kill, cause it says like, you know, double kill and then it's more than two, but less than four kills and, and like an un- uncountable number of kills and stuff. And that's, you know, it's, it, you had to be there. It's funny in the context of Dota 2. And there's a lot of, like, so when pri- you get a bounty rune, does he say thanks for buying a compendium sucker? There is a, there is a line, <laughs> there is a line that says, it's something like if both teams completely die, like, you know, a team fight ends with everybody dead. He says something like, everyone's dead. I think it might be, that might be the drama I'm getting this completely wrong. This was probably only possible due to Dota Plus. Thank you for spending money on Dota Plus, everybody. It was completely worth it. <laughs> Like, it's surprisingly on point. There's one which is, the entire enemy team was an ass, and we won't be working with them again. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> um, which is a reference to the previous time yeah. Gabe let his hair down. Um, so, <laughs> uh, 
Um, so yeah, it's just, it, I thought it was quite sweet. And it, um, I always quite like Gabe's intros to the, into the international. Like this year, they had a, a brilliant band. They had what, I don't know what it's called, the aerial, aerialists. Oh, that's, that's, that's the right thing. So dancers who make, grab onto two ribbons and then fly into the sky mm. by magic and upper body strength. Hmm. Um, they had that and all this great stuff and they have all the teams walk out and you know, the music and the lights and everything else and then Gabe comes out invariably in like jeans, a polo shirt and sandals and says, hey, <laughs> and people go mental. And it's always, the lack of decorum is almost startling but quite charming in its own special way. Uh, and uh, obviously uh, he's a, a billionaire so it doesn't really matter what I think. Uh, I think that's it for news. Tom, unless you were to say something. Uh... I'd like to read a funny tweet I read. <laughs> Excellent. Because uh, it struck me that it could be a kind of uh, quiz. So this is from uh, Marmalade Tim, uh, who is the creator of uh, Sluggy's Fruit Emporium. Mm. Uh, Very charming game. Turn internet back on. Is I've... that why the marmalade? Um, I feel like it was called that before that game. I don't know for sure, though. Uh, Interesting. Twitter has lost the tweet, but now I'm going to find it again. More as we have it. Uh, so, he has done a handy table of uh, cross-referencing common prefixes for game names and common suffixes for game names. Mm. And uh, I would like to read those for you now, and uh, you have to tell me whether they exist or not. Okay. Uh, so, across the top, there's the prefixes, over, fire, titan, dark, and battle. And then down the side is the suffixes, watch, lands, fall, souls, front, and field. Uh, okay. So, over, watch. Does that exist? Yes. <laughs> yes. Fire, watch. Yes. Yes. Titan, watch? No. Yes. Really? So, I, I'm just being different. I'm just going to take Tim's word for it on the yeses. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. He says no. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Dark Watch? Yes. <laughs> Ooh. Ooh. No. It's a yes from oh. Tim. <laughs> Pip's kicking my ass. <laughs> Battle Watch? Yes. No. It's a no. Damn it. I would have guessed Eat yes. It, war. Okay. <laughs> now on to the lands. <laughs> Overland? Uh, yes. So yes. It's land brackets S, so yeah, yeah. the S counts. Yep. Uh... Fireland? Yes. No. Oh. Uh, Titanland? No. 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 Uh, Darkland? Yes. Yep. Yes. I, I, I wonder if that's a dark lands or a dark land. Mm. Doesn't say. Uh, Battleland? Or lands? Yes. It's certainly yes. Yep. <laughs> uh, Overfall? <laughs> no. Uh, yes. It's a yes here. <laughs> it sounds funny to me. It's just because it sounds like fall over. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> the overfall move. Uh, firefall. I think. Yes. yes. We all know. Titanfall. Yes. Yes. Darkfall. Yes. Yes. Battlefall. No. Yes. Uh, sorry, you're right on Darkfall. That is a yes. Uh, Battlefall, also yes. Yes. Falls is a complete line. Every single one is a, there's a fall well, for it. All <laughs> done on falls. Uh, over souls. No. Mm. Hmm. No. <laughs> so yes, I I have trouble imagining that one. It might be over soul. Um. Mm. Yeah. Over soul is it? Mm. Okay. Uh, fire soul. Yes. Surely yes. No, according to this graph. Uh, Titan soul. Yes. Mm. Yes. Yeah. Dark soul. <laughs> <Yes>. No. <laughs> 
Battle Souls. No. Hang on. <laughs> You're taking this so seriously. <laughs> I just, I Is anyone win. keeping score? Because I'm not. I think Pip's winning. I feel like I'm winning. I think you're winning. Uh, what was it? Battle Souls? Yeah. Yes. So yes, yeah. Definitely uh, winning. Overfront? <laughs> <laughs> no. I feel like we got lucky with Overfall being an actual game. I think no for this one. <laughs> it's a no. Uh, Firefront? Yes. No. I, I would have said no. yes, but it's a red here. Yay! Firefront. It's got to be a game called Firefront. You're telling me there's an Oversouls, but it's not a Firefront. <laughs> this is a travesty. Take it up with the games community. <laughs> Titanfront? No. No. Darkfront? Yes. No. No. no just... Battlefront? Yes. yes. <laughs> Overfield? <laughs> yes. No. That's a no here. Uh, Firefields? No. no. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Titanfields? <laughs> Yes. No. It's a no. <laughs> Dark field. <laughs> yes. It's what you. It's what you overfall in. <laughs> overfall in the dark field. Uh, yes. It's a yes. Uh, battlefield. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. That's it. Awesome. Can we look through the the ones that don't exist? The ones that don't exist are uh, Titan Watch, Battle Watch, Firelands, Titan Lands, Fire Souls, Overfront, Firefront, Titan Front, Dark Front. <laughs> front is just not very popular. So Front is underused. Front is underused and Fall is is just comprehensive. Every, there's an right. everything Fall. Mm. Um, uh, Overfield and Titan. Of those, which of those games would you make? I like Overfield. <laughs> it's like, it's too, too much field. <laughs> I'm just Overfield. I'm all about Dale. <laughs> Um, dark front gonna make me laugh. I, I quite like. Was it Titan Field? Uh, yep. That, that's that's open. <laughs> if you want to, if you want to use it. Hmm. Mm. Was Titan Watch free as well? Uh yes. Because that's both of the things Overwatch was going to be called in one name. Oh really? Well, Overwatch is Titan, right? Oh uh, right, yeah. Uh, well, the Titan MMO became Overwatch. Yeah, yeah, I wonder if there should be just like a no suffix one here. So it's just like, if there's a game called Titan or Fire. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there probably is a game called Dark, right? Probably. It's probably spelled with C or something. Yeah, it's probably <laughs> a point and click adventure game. <laughs> well, that's that sorted. <laughs> Good. That was an excellent bit. Um, we should do quizzes <laughs> more often. <laughs> um, but now we should talk a little bit about what we've been up to this week. Who would like to talk about a game, what they've done play on the computer? I have played, I have played quite a lot, but I have either not got far enough through or they have been actively bad or they are under embargo for mm. the most part. But a game which is, uh, at least not two of those things <laughs> is Spore, which I have been playing. Sure, it's not under embargo. <laughs> How long ago was Spore? Ten years. Gosh. Exactly. Gosh. It actually, it actually somehow seems longer. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was longer ago. It was like real ancient history. 2008, my friend. Yeah, it was a different time. Yeah. Maybe it feels slightly longer to you because you reviewed it, so presumably you had code a bit earlier and maybe saw some I did, and I also, yeah, I also played a preview. Um, we talked about this a bit before but uh my review uh, this is the reason you you were playing it right was because my review came up in the old pc gamer stuff 
Yeah, I wasn't going to drop you in it, just that there was a mention <laughs> of the game in, in an old issue that I was looking through. And I was like, I wonder what that's like now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, my review was 90 or 91. I think it was 91. Yeah, um, and I loved it. Uh, but I it was partly because I played it a preview that I had a much more positive reaction when it came out than, mm. than most other people because I got over all my disappointment at the preview stage. <laughs> like, <laughs> it had been hyped in this kind of crazy way and then I played it a preview and realized, oh God, this is not what we're expecting at all. And I wrote a pretty negative preview of like, oh shit, don't expect this um, crazy sciencey thing. It's much more of a series of mini games. And, um, and so then by the time it came out, I was kind of ready to take it on its own terms and was just interested in like the stuff people have made with it and they'd made incredible things. Um, and I had an awesome time just exploring all those things. Um, but then of course a lot of people were not over their disappointment with it when it came out <laughs> and it's kind of interesting to like compare to No Man's Sky because they both had a, an element of like the impossible in the promise right they mm. were both sort of uh, showed enough to capture people's imaginations and let them run away with it and imagine this sort of they're both about freaky looking aliens yep <laughs> Mm, did you know i've just realized i actually have a printout of your review in my bag in the other room <laughs> <laughs> if you would like to refer to notes during this discussion uh, no i think i'm okay <laughs> <laughs> um one of my favorite things was um because i also wanted to just sort of remind myself of the context i guess and like some of the specifics i went back and watched the tv trailer um mm. for the game and it it uses the word creationism oh my, oh my god. god which is webinar before its time it's driver tar before its time evolution before evolution was never good enough to fit in that I love bracket that this is like the second games. time ea have tried to change the i tried to change the word evolution and like and, and fucked it up Although mm. evolution is worse, I think. I know create evolution. What was it? Creative evolution. Creation evolution. Creation evolution. Because they can't even do that. Like, the create evolution, right? It's <laughs> it's creationism and evolution. Yeah. At the same time. It's just time two mutually incompatible things that they have decided to try and put together, appeasing incredibly no one. <laughs> yeah. Are they so. were they positing um, World Right Spore as a kind of bold new? answer to what might happen (laughs) (laughs) well i don't know because i i think at that point they were just like it's cool it's fine they end with i think it's what universe will you create or build or do or something and it's just like (laughs) what universe you gonna do (laughs) if you let me off the reins long enough to actually do anything maybe you'll find out what's your experience like of playing it now in the year 2018 well so it's it it tries to do everything and in doing everything it does nothing well really apart from the first stage which is the cell stage and the creature creator is still really Mm. easy to use and i would say intuitive and quite it's easy to get a creature that works and Mm. i think that that is a feat that cannot be (laughs) underestimated it's Mm. you know it, it looks dated because of the the style that they went with um but it 
you know, if you add legs, the thing has legs, it has articulated joints. You can play yeah, around yeah. with that. You can put wings on it and it's, you know, it, it, it works and it, you can create, I made an octopus in it and it doesn't walk in any way well and i couldn't find a foot that works with the tentacle conceit so it had to have no feet it's got <laughs> legs and no feet um but it still ended up looking you know really mm. faithful i think it's more that you struggle when you get to other kinds of animals because the the body seems to be a preset random thing. You know, you hit new creation and it generates a shape, you know, that's maybe mm. a bit bulbous in particular bits or, you know, and, and you can just sort of keep hit, hitting that to try and get the base shape that you want. But there were a few things that I thought I'd try and create that really wouldn't work because it wouldn't create the right shape to start with. But mm. octopus seemed to seem to work fancy parrot going to a party also good <laughs> you know all of all of the good things um those are the two good things <laughs> well yes um and the cell stage is the one that you start with and that is essentially a a two-dimensional game it's somewhere between pac-man and um just some other things a little bit like you... flow yeah that's yeah that's a good other thing to marry it with um so you start off essentially at the bottom of the food chain in this tidal pool and you this single-celled organism uh all that you've really chosen to that point is i think it's a basic shape maybe um you've named it and you have uh selected whether it's a vegetarian a omnivore or a herb uh, or a carnivore and that just means that you're either chasing after fleshy lumps or green bits or <laughs> both um and so essentially you're just trying to eat things that agree with your diet and that are smaller than you and using that to earn dna points i think and get bigger and you also can mouse, uh, uh, move over little m medallion looking things to pick up new parts that you can then incorporate into your things design by paying the DNA cost. So you can add, you know, extra spikes if you need protection or if you want to go into predation. Um, or you can, you know, get extra flagello for you know for speed boosts or i got like electric nodes at one point <laughs> to you know stun those who would disobey me um <laughs> and you just sort of you increase in size and the things that were bullying you you can start bullying them and mm. it's just it's very well presented and yeah i remember it looking really nice yeah, does it still look nice it does actually because you can sort of see the monstrous evil bigger yeah. really big bullies on the the um on the plane just behind the one you're playing on yeah. so you know they they can't hurt you yet but they're a sign of <laughs> things to come i guess and they look kind of terrifying it's interesting because the right. cell stage um uh is sort of also the most physically one and it like the it's very simulated in terms of like 
where you put the spike on your body determines mm. whether or not the spike hits the enemy before they get to your your soft fleshy bits and so there's like the strategy and how you lay out the bits um yeah and if you're being chased obviously you put them on on your bum mm. and if you are likely to be chasing after things you'd put them on the front you know yeah. things like that which is and then the so i remember liking that and also getting really invested in like making my creature and mm-hmm. how they looked and stuff but then at the creature stage i really resented that certain bits had like really good attack values or something or this mouth that's like totally ugly and doesn't fit with my creature is the five damage mouth and therefore i've just got to have it if i want to survive and that's the thing that really bothered me because the creature creator is really good but to actually get through for example the uh it's the creature stage after the cell stage and to get through that you're essentially just you you're gaming the numbers because you absolutely need the thing that has three or four level you know Mm. charm or posing or dancing (laughs) or whatever so you know even if you didn't want hooves you're gonna have hooves (laughs) (laughs) which things do add charm (laughs) i don't remember um I think I can't remember because I think hang on so there's the the aggressive skills and there's the charming sort of social skills and so there's pose is one of them so I think that might be hands or something then there's <laughs> Generic singing jazz hands. Which is, so singing is mouths um I think charm is the one where you waggle your bum but I, that, <laughs> that might sense. just Checks be out. like extras, like feathers or, you know, whatever else. Right. And there's one other thing. I think it's dancing. So that would be <laughs> legs or feet or whatever. Right. Um, but yeah. And so that means that you're not actually, you know, you haven't made a decision to, to react to your environment. And then you, you follow that pathway along or adapt you know in in a reactionary way it's entirely like well here's your mr potato head thing (laughs) take off everything that you you know there's no sort of aging traits out or you know yeah it's very okay we'll sell that add this and the whole thing it just doesn't really uh, uh, that was the point where i just uh, it completely destroyed that sense of this is a specific type of creature that you have become attached to because it all just felt so, you know, malleable and like, okay, well, you're just going to do whatever fits in this scenario and it will ricochet all over the place because you just picked up a level four face, you know, so now your creature Mm. looks entirely different. I think the only thing that felt like it was... bit more in relation to the environment was i gave one of my creatures a really long neck because that let you reach some of the um the fruit that Mm. was out of reach otherwise but to be honest there's loads of fruit on the ground so (laughs) you didn't need to um it's weird like because i wanted uh like in the cell stage it was good that how I designed my creature mattered in gameplay terms and the mm. creature stage it was bad that it did. I just wanted the creature stage to be purely aesthetic. I just wanted to make my creature look how I wanted it to look. Mm. And then uh, like, I'd still be up for having it level up and stuff, but I wanted that to just be a totally separate skill tree or something where it doesn't affect my, my layout at all. But mm. they obviously, I think it might have been partly because 
they put so much work into the creature creator and the creature creator is so cool they wanted you to use that multiple times through that stage so they wanted you to have reasons to change your creature but those reasons were just like you must put on this bad thing (laughs) yeah or just like live with it for a while while you achieve these aims and then maybe swap everything back to the aesthetic you liked before you graduate to the next stage Mm. so i wonder if it could have been just a case of like you unlock new parts and stuff and then you sort of earn the ability to edit your creature if you want to so it's like you've earned a a, you know a a tweak or um, Mm. a regeneration and you the editor opens and you can mess around with it if you like or you can just carry on exactly as you were and you don't need to doesn't have any gameplay benefit i don't know because i think that at that point it would have needed all of the systems overhauled to support that because Otherwise, you're just going to have to do an awful lot of posing and dancing and trying to, like, you know, get yeah, as yeah. many creatures in your party as possible just to make your other tribe like you. I, oh. um, <laughs> I regretted all of my diplomacy by the end of that. Um, <laughs> and then it's the tribe phase, which I actively hated. Yeah. Really, really hated. The tribe and the city, I didn't. It switches to a sort of top-downy RTS perspective and you have absolutely zero personal connection to your creatures at that point. You're not like, you just sort of drag to select and make them go over to other people. And, you know, whereas previously you could get all of your little creatures to sing, um, if you want to do that again in this for a diplomatic victory of sorts um you have to build different musical instrument huts and get each creature to get a different musical instrument and then you go over to another tribe and then you uh, you start sort of trying to interact with them through singing so that they know that you're like trying to socialize or whatever but then they start making requests so they're like okay cool flute do you know free bird (laughs) and and so you have to like make sure you've got a flautist in your group and it's like okay fine and then they're like okay and they're like okay that was great how about didgeridoo and you're like oh i didn't build that yet (laughs) and so you know it's this this well i don't know what kind of diplomacy you call this (laughs) don't know what didgeridoo (laughs) and so that's just a hassle um and it's not very clear with how it teaches you to do things and then the only real customization you can do your creature is set at this point so it's just like you get to add you know like shoulder pads and masks <laughs> it immediately and becomes the 80s things like that <laughs> and it's just like it's really frustrating and my thing just looked a total mess by the end of it and then you move to the The civilization stage, which is essentially a really, really shit version of Civ. Mm. Um, And one of my big gripes with it was that I was playing a sort of mid-blue race on the minimap. And I was pitted against a mid-blue race on the minimap that was slightly more luminous than me, but only if you stared at the <laughs> minimap for long enough. <laughs> and it's just like... It's a perfect camouflage. Why would you do this? So I thought the whole world looked conquered. But apparently <laughs> there was like a rogue city that was like wow. still needed, you know, 
converting of all things to get wrong in like a massively complex game it's like oh we couldn't pick another color (laughs) oh it was the most annoying thing and like just micromanaging all of that nonsense and were you still going like social at this point yeah but only because i just it was easier you know i'd just Hmm. send a bunch of buggies out to full of flautists (laughs) got didgeridoos now motherfuckers at that point (laughs) it becomes like a religious thing i think so you go over and one of your sort of land buggies projects a giant version of one of your creatures at the enemy building <laughs> look at this while they try and shoot you it's me <laughs> and it's like okay i don't think i quite understand what's going on here and i didn't really get much of like I, it was just television that stage was just so annoying and it didn't really go anywhere and it was just you know it was really boring and then it's like oh and your reward for all of this is the space stage and just go and do a bunch of fetch quests and you expand your empire all and... the different spices there's like nine kinds of spice yeah they're all different colors tom so <laughs> yeah. they found the colors so, like I, I seem to remember there's like a purple one and a pink one and those are the most valuable <laughs> yeah the green one is the one i encounter quite a lot and the orange one i think seems to be quite the basic spice <laughs> um yeah cumin whatever (laughs) (laughs) but yeah so i just i've played that for a while and it's like it's the more engaging but by putting three bad overly tutorially feeling nonsense games all of which have a counterpart in the real world that do it better it yeah I just don't care. I you don't might as well want play. to expand my empire. My empire's stupid. It's <laughs> so, oh. You're saying you'd be better off playing Osmos, Diablo, Settlers, Civ, and then Gal Civ. <laughs> oh, I mean, yeah. But I think, so the space one, I, I would be a lot more kindly disposed to it if I wasn't, if the game hadn't exhausted my patience. Mm. Um, I think it was really interesting for what it was doing and, you know, the fact that you could sort of try and build this empire and, you know, it's, it's quite basic, but, you know, the, the way that it models the galaxies was quite, in, or, you know, the, the way it does the star systems i was quite Mm. interested in you know zooming in and zooming out and the idea of terraforming even though they've implemented it with quite a pain in the ass mini game that's essentially cost gated it's like Mm. you know because you you go and you buy a colony module for a billion squillion space bucks and then you have to go and buy a thing that, that you know you uh like you you can fiddle with the temperature and you can fiddle with the atmosphere by buying these other modules that you then dump on the planet and then once that's happened you need to add trees and shrubs of various sizes that you've kidnapped from other star systems there's just a lot of busy work so Mm. it's just you know you could streamline that quite a lot i think or you know i think if someone were to to do a take on it now it would be the sort of thing that could get improved in interesting ways you know mm. what is what like how is the community creation side of spore now it's still active although i'm not quite sure i understand the numbers involved because you know i open up the the community sharing side of things and it tells me that i don't know like there's 
1600 Maxis creations and 1700 things altogether, but I know I've browsed through more than the difference between the two's mm. worth of mm. human creations. So I don't know. And the other thing is some of the ones that you like and download then require one of the expansions. And I'm like, oh, hell no. Yeah. So, you know, there were a few that looked really cool. Like someone had made like a leopard and someone had made um a really hench Kermit the Frog. <laughs> um But they both required this expansion that I was in no way going <laughs> the to. The hench Kermit expansion. <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> So, um, so yeah, it, oh, so I don't know. I was thinking of resurrecting the PC Gamer UK broadcast in your honor. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, that was what it was all about for me. It was just exploring what people have made with it. And they just, there were so many incredible creations. It was mm. like, it might, I was just picking like stuff that made me, that amused me or caught my eye. And so, um, in my playthrough, there's just like a race of sentient sniper rifles that walked around on their tripod. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, just a giant ornate antique chair <laughs> stomping around <laughs> my world. <laughs> yeah. Like there were a fair few that I downloaded and just really liked and would take into the creature creator to see how they moved, you know, independent of how they just looked in a still image and things like that. Um, I think the thing that I lost my patience with was um, in the city and I think possibly the space thing, you start not just being able to design vehicles and buildings. The game makes you design them before hmm. you can use them. So you, in the Civ stage, it's like you need a town hall, build a town hall. And by that point, you're so annoyed with the whole thing that it's like, here's a block just do it. It's fine. <laughs> Who cares? <laughs> so, yeah. Um, oh, I don't know. Do you remember, was it in the, re the review issue of Spore that had the worst PC gamer cover of all time? I don't remember. With the, the Spore cover. It might, I don't know if it was a preview or the review. The one that looks like it's, I don't know if it was original art or something they sent, but it looked like the magic school bus firing a hose at a giant creme brulee. <laughs> I'm not joking. Don't this know. cover exists. It's many years ago, obviously, but no, it's one I have that, no yeah. idea. Yeah, I think it might have been quite early in the preview process before there really was art for Spore. Yeah, I don't think so. It's supposed to be like a spaceship lasering a, a planet, but it just doesn't. None of the individual no, things look like those this things. This one, I think, was that um, like big, like that one buggy-eyed dude, mm, the Spore Man. Oh, who even knows um but yeah it was kind of it was interesting it was interesting going back to it and sort of because all i'd really remembered was a couple of like you know snapshotty personal memories of playing it so the um the creature stage was the mm. thing that i remembered for some reason um and also the uh the drm um row yeah of the time oh remember those Mm -hmm. Oh, the late noughties. We're not going to get them back, are we? <laughs> um, something that I will flag up to people if any of this has made you want to uh, buy Spore is that if you want to use the, um, the community stuff, I couldn't get it to work when I was playing on a Steam version of, uh, of the game. So I would buy it from origin if you wanted to make use of Good that advice. stuff because it just it wouldn't for some reason the the login side of things seems balked on the steam hmm. uh it's a shame but good to thing. know but yeah i think it's a bit cheaper on that than on t'other 
anyway. Cool. Mm-hmm. Tom, what have you been up to? Um, weirdly, I've been playing a lot of FTL. Mm, we're moving the clock forward five years. <laughs> yeah. It's all the latest hits here on Quentin <laughs> Grubber. Um, it's because I got an iPad. Uh, oh, it's good on the iPad. Yeah. Uh, and that was one of the few things from, you know, back when iPads were new and, and cool that I actually did think, hmm, I would quite like to play that. Um, and I don't really have much to say about how it works on the iPad versus the PC, but, uh, I've just been playing a lot of FTL and, uh, it's really interesting going back to it, it was after Into the Breach. Um, I know that you're sat here wearing an Into the Breach t-shirt. Yeah. <laughs> Bit of a Subset Games um, brand ambassador tonight. <laughs> uh, I have said uh, before that I much prefer Into the Breach. I think Into the Breach is way better. Um, and it was interesting that that didn't seem to be like the sort of the community consensus, at least in terms mm. of Steam reviews. Like it's, it, they're both incredibly positively received, obviously. Um, but Into the Breach is slightly less positively received. And when I looked at the negative reviews, they were almost all FDL fans who wanted it to be more like FDL. Um, and so I was kind of half wondering if going back to FDL would make me realize like, oh no, this does have all this like extra, I don't know, depth and interest to it that, that I'd missed. And it may well do. Um, I think a lot of those people are playing on like, hard and with the really difficult ships that um that, that maybe make things um i don't know force you to think in new ways but actually coming back to it i was especially compared to into the breach surprised how little thought it took like each individual sort of node uh almost all of them are some kind of story encounter where you make a choice uh often you don't have a choice it's just like they're going to attack, so you fight them. Or if it's a choice, you choose one or two things, and it says, you do that, they attack, <laughs> and you fight them. Like, 70% of all encounters mm. are just a fight, which is fine, because the combat is the, the core of it. Um, but So I don't really think about those. I often don't read the text. I just kind of, like, look at the options, and if I don't understand the options, I'll, read, I'll back read a little bit. A single <laughs> um, and uh, then it might be partly like the loadout I'm using this time. I just went for kind of all lasers all the time because <laughs> I had a missile launcher, but I just kept running out of missiles and they were expensive to buy again. And so I decided like when I had the opportunity to just buy the laser you start with again, like that's already a thing that fires three lasers. If I have two of those, I can fire six lasers. <laughs> Why would I not do that? Um, and now I've just got, I've got two lasers that fire three lasers, one laser that's a heavy laser, and then an ion thing that takes out their shield and it's just kind of always because because of shields which are a thing that like an enemy has multiple layers of them at this stage in the game is they have three layers of them um and they regenerate very quickly over time so when the layer goes down it's back in like two seconds um and so with three layers taking down one layer you know occasionally is completely useless never gets you anywhere um so if you actually want to get through their shields uh then you need to hit all at once. And so I just do that every time. And if you have a missile launcher, like the missile goes through the shield, so you can like target their shield generator with the missile and then hit with the other stuff. But that presupposes that your missile is going to both hit and take out the shield thing, which yeah. frequently it just misses because they're just fast. Um, and then if it does hit, it doesn't do enough damage to actually take any uh, shields down. And uh, so I feel like it doesn't feel like the combat is actually that strategic. I did like... I've had, I wrote a PC Gamer article about an amazing situation I had in FTL about like, um, a sort of crazy, um, a desperate fight where everything was on fire and, uh, I had a sort of great Star Trek moment where I realized the only way out of the situation was to take down my shields, like turn my shields off in the middle of combat in order to make their shot hit something other than my shields. Um, 
and it worked and it was awesome. And I think I just sort of like replaced my memory of FTL with just that story. <laughs> right. It's just like that all the time, you know, making these amazing strategic calculated decisions. But actually I'm finding, you know, moment to moment, I'm just, I'm just doing the same thing in every fight. And I'm, I'm also seeking out the fights because they're quite easy. I'm playing on normal. Um, and, uh, it's, it's addictive and it's, it's fun, but compared to Into the Breach, Into the Breach, like, every turn is oh god how do i do this oh uh even if you can see a way to do it you're thinking isn't there a better way to do it can mm. i like sort of extra solve this um and then it does have those occasional moments of like oh god this turn is just a nightmare i've got to think of something really clever to do um so yeah i still much prefer into the breach the thing i do love about ftl um and i think it's a big core of like why it works so well it's just that um feeling of having a crew especially if you assembled them along the way like the ones yeah, you start yeah. with are, are cool but then when you fight the slavers and you uh you refuse to give up one of your crew and you fight them and you beat them in battle and then at the last minute they surrender and say take one of our slaves um you know if you let us live um and then you take that person and that person's with you for the rest of the game yeah and it's graham or something <laughs> yeah um i never bothered to rename them but um just having like a mantis called Robinson. <laughs> my ship mm. is great. And he, you know, if anyone boards my ship, we get Robinson the mantis to go over and beat them up because <laughs> he's really good at combat because he's a fucking mantis. Um, Famously great hand to hand fighters. Yep. Mantis <laughs> shrimps like deliver a punch that's like, you know, the, the it, force of a, like a supersonic a bullet. Really? Yeah. yeah. They can really, really mess you up. Like, as in, is it like way. relative to their body size or is it literally like each? It's, I think they've been known to shatter aquarium glass with it. Wow. Has, if a mantis shrimp did actually attack a human being, how would it fare? I think, um, there's YouTube videos of stuff. <laughs> Man like, versus like, mantis it really, like, it really hurts. <laughs> I bet. <laughs> like, but it's not like being shot. Well, I mean, it's there's no bullet involved, but right. it's like it all. So, a mantis shrimp holding a bullet is a gun. <laughs> <laughs> I is mean, that what obviously. you're saying? <laughs> Guns yes. don't kill people. Mantis shrimps holding bullets do. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they're good in combat in FDL for sure. <laughs> and uh, there was like one story encounter. I have a rock guy on my team. I don't entirely remember where he came from, but I, I nevertheless feel very personally attached to the rock guy. And coming across an encounter where like. Uh, some people are in distress and their ship's on fire. And like, there's a special option just like, if you have a rock crew member, you get to just send in your rock guy because rock can't catch fire. <laughs> so he just walks in and solves it. Um, stuff like that is really good. And yeah, just that feeling of like the ship being kind of like a little mm. rickety home. It's, it's better at stories, you... FTL, than Into the Breach, really. Yeah. Yeah, it's got, I think the atmosphere is better. Um, it, it definitely feels more like a little like lonely home of people who've, you know, surviving desperate situations together. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. So do you remember the, the new years we spent doing kind of like yeah. a collective FTL? FTL uh, by vote. Yeah. Um, and the resounding cries of smell the glaive. <laughs> yes. I tried to recreate that in Monster Hunter recently. It's weird. It's not intended as a segue, but in Monster Hunter, you pick like, you obviously name your character and things and that can be viewed by other people. But I think if you fall foul of the profanity filter, which most people won't, but if you do, it just replaces your name with Hunter. And obviously there's a chance that your name might be in, in character, a character set that isn't represented to everybody. So you also need to pick a slogan for yourself, which is often displayed instead of your name. Um, and this is like, it's a three part thing. It's, this is basically designed, it's a system designed to confound and stress out writers i think because <laughs> it's a three part it's a three word phrase uh where you have a, a first word second word and third word 
and each of those you can set to null and switch them off i think um but you have the same word list for the first word and the last word and the middle one is like a different word list which is somewhat like conjunctions and things but also just like letters and other things um and obviously the aim is to try and make a joke and death uh, to chris <laughs> yeah if chris was in there you could you could do the, the actually the word death is in there no, and you also not. unlock more words as you go along so occasionally you have to go check against if you found the new the the word the that you need <laughs> um but obviously uh, my weapon of choice in one center is the insect glaive which is shortened to just glaive so i desperately wanted to be able to smell spell smell the glaive in monster hunter and the word smell isn't in there so i've managed to get i've managed to get as far as brave the glaive <laughs> that's pretty which is a kind of challenge to any 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 dinosaur or dragon or dinosaur <laughs> dragon uh, that wants to try and smell the glaive it was first brave the glaive but um that's you know, that's a, a total aside, but it's a journey I've been on as part of my 40 odd hours. Was, the, the glaive was awesome because it, it's like a really slow ch- charging weapon that you then draw a line across the enemy ship and it cuts across them. And I, if I remember correctly, it doesn't penetrate shields. So you have to get the shields. Like, yeah. You have to, it's a very careful timing thing. So you kind of like your burst lasers are charged, but you don't fire them yet because the glaive isn't ready. And then you, you take it down their shields. And then in that split second where the shields are down, you draw the perfect line across and it does like two damage to every room it hits and you draw the line mm. so that it like just because it crosses this corner technically it hits four rooms <laughs> um and then you yell smell the glaive <laughs> <laughs> um and that stuff hasn't come up as much in this current run that i'm doing um uh, but there's i also when i get to a shop and there's all these interesting things i can buy like a, there's a mind control unit and a hacking unit and um i just worry too much that if i go into something esoteric i don't I just won't be able to like I'm not getting anyone's shields down reliably. Mm. They'll always have one layer of shielding or like there'll just be, you know, the briefest moment when they, they finally go down. And I feel like I have to get drones because I'm gonna need a defense drone because it's the only way you can defend against missiles. And I know missiles are gonna eventually be a problem, even if they're not right now. Um and there's all these I hadn't really looked into it, but like you can upgrade your sensors and your doors and uh your engines and your bridge separately have two different upgrade paths and there's all these different things you can do to your ship that i'm just never ever going to do because they're not the core things they're not like yeah yeah. i don't deal more damage and i can't take more damage and so i'm not going to do that and i kind of wish those were just like maybe there's some balance reason they can't do this but i kind of wish it was just like really cheap to upgrade those things and they had big profound upgrades um Mm like uh the like i I look at an enemy ship and i just don't know what the weapons are i can see them and i know that they're it is possible to determine from their sprite what the weapon is but i don't know all the things even after all the hours i've played ftl and i know roughly what a missile launcher looks like versus a non-missile launcher um but i don't have that information and so i can't strategize around it and so i don't have a plan beyond just let's just do the thing we always do which is take out either their shields or their weapons if they've got a lot of shields we have to go for the shields first otherwise we just go for their weapons um and yeah not like limiting that information basically makes the game more similar in each encounter mm. yeah yeah it sort of needs the ability to just almost do a sort of i don't know i don't know how you fix that i don't know how you make the the fun gear worth taking over pure survivability and, and fire yeah power. It feels like this is almost a heat signature problem, not to I put think- it, not to pass the buck back to you. <laughs> well, haven't I solved this? Um, I, I think with FDL, the way I do it is like, 
just have you sometimes be given a crazy doors upgrade or sensors upgrade yeah. or whatever like have those just come to you randomly and so it has a big effect but you didn't have to invest in I it i suppose that was maybe the, the, the there is the discount stuff like you go to a particular place and it's like this particular upgrade is very cheap am i misremembering that is that a thing in ftl i haven't seen that um, is that in hang on is that in into the breach yeah uh yes it is okay i'm thinking of their other game <laughs> so they solve this problem in their other game <laughs> yeah and that's good um there, there is something in this that i hadn't seen before which i think must be part of the advanced edition where uh, I went to buy a drone bay and I was going to buy it anyway, but when I clicked on it, it said, oh, this one comes with a free system repair drone. Like, oh, okay. That's cool. Um, that isn't flagged up on the store interface, so it doesn't actually do a good job of pushing you to buy that thing. Um, but if there's, uh, I also looked at like some crew and there was two Zoltan crew, which are like the energy beings. And one of them had a special ability of like, he recharges our shields 20% faster. And uh, again, it wasn't flagged up until you click on them, but they do have seemingly special perks to yeah, certain yeah. things in shops. Um, which I think wasn't in the original, but that's cool. In short, it's cool when the Zoltan man make the shield go bigger. <laughs> yep. I didn't buy him because I had like eight crew already. <laughs> I, just, <laughs> I had that slaver encounter like seven times. <laughs> they, I would always win and they'd always offer me a slave and I always took it. So I just like, I had a mantis manning my cameras. <laughs> also very good at that. Yep. <laughs> What have you been playing, Chris? Uh, so I haven't um, played much new because I'm still playing Monster Hunter because Monster Hunter is very long and it just keeps going. Uh, and Tom, you're watching the International. And I'm watching the International. Mm. Sometimes I've been doing both. <laughs> um, the uh, It's very good, Monster Hunter. I like it a lot. I'm not going to uh, appreciate it. We've talked about it a few times on the pod now. Um, it's settling into a kind of like, not late game because I still haven't finished the campaign, but I'm into the part that last on the last podcast, Tom s want me to get to sort of oh, yeah. where the gear actually starts to count uh and that i can appreciate why that by that switch over or switcheroo might upset people but i'm actually quite enjoying it um very much enjoying the big boss fights but specifically enjoying it because it's sort of um just a, a, a it remains a kind of satisfying kind of happy grind and uh as and i'm I'm back on the dota as well because it's the international and that makes me want to play dota and the good thing about the only good thing about not being at the international <laughs> is being able to play dota which i can never previously do when i was actually out at seattle or, or wherever um but the um the thing that uh it's I, I realized i didn't realize until the last couple of days that these games collectively are preventing me from doing is playing world of warcraft because <laughs> world of warcraft just got an expansion and i just start to feel this happens every time this happens and i have successfully resisted it as far back as cataclysm which is a long time ago now um I think it, you know predates my, my career in games journalism i know oh, i went back once since then uh but only briefly um but I, I started to get that feeling of like i could just play world of warcraft <laughs> i could just play world of warcraft um for i believe steven messner gave it 86 percent the new one mm-hmm. yeah i imagine it's good they always do the thing they do and it's like yeah this is good uh, it's World of Warcraft. Um, but between a few other compulsive games, specifically Monster Hunter, which is basically, I mean, it is a, a multiplayer game MMO structure, but I'm playing it by myself because I can kind of make progress by myself and it's just boss fights. Um, there is no anything else. It's just the big, and I love boss fights. So <laughs> it is just big, cool fights against exciting monsters. And I l- love my glaive a lot. Love the glaive. It's another thing I can spell in, in that, uh, little naming system. <laughs> um, I can't imagine playing it any other way. And that's, yeah, it's super rad. Also, just, can you have like brave the love? <laughs> yes, you can. Yeah. Okay. Brave and love are in the same, um, same thing. Um, you can do romance the glaive. I <laughs> <laughs> um, Michael Douglas. And- yeah, indeed. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, the, uh, that's it. I think uh, for phrases, um, 
you can make a lot of things that make any sense. Uh, and not many people seem to change theirs from the default, which, <laughs> because it's a complicated, really weird system. But that's, that's true of a lot of Monster Hunter. Can you have Monster the Hunter? No. <laughs> I, the word Hunter is in there, but the word Monster doesn't appear to be. Because I wanted mine to be Glaive the Monster as a kind of pure descriptor of what I do. It's not actually a full descriptor of what I do, because I usually have at least one cat. And I fire a big old, I've got a big moth now, a big fluffy moth. And it's brilliant because my big fluffy moth, I, last week I was talking about my paralyzing bu- ladybird. Mm-hmm. This week it's all about the, the blast moth. The blast moth leaves blast spores behind, which can be detonated. And genuinely the raddest thing in games is doing this huge windmilling glaive somersault through a huge pack of blast spores and blowing a dragon's wing off. <laughs> it's not something I thought I'd want to do with my August of my 31st year of being alive, but it is nonetheless what I have done. Uh, and that's it. Basically that's, I mean, that's all I've been playing. I had a really good Dota run where I was winning every game and then I just hit the brick wall that happens after that happens. Uh, so the game is now the worst game ever made, having previously about a day ago been the best. <laughs> um, uh, and really that's it for, for me this week because uh, I, I tried to play other things. Well, I really wanted to play Unavowed, which definitely called Unavowed and not Disavowed as I put everywhere <laughs> in the podcast last week. Apologies to everyone involved. Uh, disavowed is the word that was in my head. Um, and I really wanted to play um, Exapunks. Oh, yeah. But then I realized that these were of no hot take yield potential in the <laughs> podcast because you've covered them off quite so well. So that's me, really. So you played the game that you talked about extensively last week. Well, yeah, I had to, <laughs> I had to upgrade my pants or something. This is, I'm wearing very this good sp- is just replacing the Destiny thing, isn't it? It's just a straight up. Yeah, it is. It is exactly the same role in my life, <laughs> apart from the fact that I play on my PC, not my PlayStation. But yeah. Yeah, it's funny. We, I think we all have a like mainstays that we go back to or like, I don't know, there's certain like formats that, uh, that we're each vulnerable to. And I feel like I'm not vulnerable to the same ones as you. Like, first of all, competitive multiplayer games, not at all. Yeah. Um, and then like the big absorbing semi online thing like Destiny and Monster Hunter. Um, also have never really caught me, but roguelikes, I just kind of can't fucking stop. And yeah. Whereas roguelike I can stop every day of my life. Like I sort of get satisfied. I feel like I've, I've seen enough and then I'll stop. <laughs> yeah. Cause like when you're talking about FTL, it took me the longest time to sort of admit that I don't like FTL. I just <laughs> don't get on with it. It's not a game that is for me, regardless of what it does well. I just. It's not my kind of thing to play, but because everybody I knew was so into it, I didn't f- ever feel <laughs> like I could actually say that for the longest time. And it was like, okay, FTL, yeah, no, sure. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, I'd, you know, I'd have my anecdotes that I could tell or whatever, but like in my, in my head, I was kind of like, yeah, but it's no Proteus, is it? <laughs> <laughs> I think for me, the thing that keeps me going back, like the thing about Destiny that I ultimately love isn't the progression mechanics, it's the gun mechanics like it has such good shooter fundamentals i just want to do that forever even if it's roughly the same forever and you know hundreds and hundreds of hours of doing basically the same thing but just love those core mechanics so much and most but, is- but also like i think you enjoyed the the roles that you could take on in teams and things like i, I genuinely think that 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 social element where you could be the one that was like helping people through raids or that, mm. you know, you knew how to do the sword thing better than a particular group of friends, then, you know, I, yeah, I genuinely that was a think factor. that that was of. Although that, that was value. a factor for like one year of a game that I played for three, if that makes sense. Like, cause I didn't raid at all in Destiny 2. Mm. So like, um, I think and I've for the second half of Destiny 1. Destiny 2 off in terms of, 
your engagement with it in that way because you just go back to the expansions basically but yeah but like you you weren't like lfging intently or you know making sure that you did all of the things you know yeah but but i also wasn't like that for like the second half destiny one either so it was like and i played destiny one religiously but it was just because of the the men popping but i think for me it felt like you were ripe for another game that would let you do those things yeah although and most of is technically that but it's not how i'm playing it at all i'm just playing it because i love the fundamental combat mechanics like i just mm. like it just feels real good to bop a big dinosaur and and then it goes blah and bits fall off but it's not gross in a way i love how thirsty they all look they're all the most extra yeah they but are it's yeah just like i encountered the pukey pukey or whatever they're it very is. good and that's it just was essentially just like everything at the wall am i a peacock am i a dragon am i a cat who it's knows it's like a caterpillar it's like a caterpillar cat iguana peacock dragon it's yeah, fucking weird with just like loads of feathers giant teeth i'm just like this is it's brilliant. too extra to it's, function yeah it's like okay well I'm gonna just have all of the accessories but and then some. That's what it does so well, actually, is like, you get into all of the monster designs really express the personality that's also expressed through the mechanics of that monster. Maybe if I was to add anything to the discussion, it'd be that. It's that you, you see something when it shows up and it's always a big surprise when a new monster shows up because they are kind of spectacular things. And you kind of get what its deal is just by looking at it. Like, you can research it and find out that, oh, you can bash its tail off to stop its poison attack or whatever. But the actual, like, animation and the the sounds and all of it just sort of expresses like this guy's an asshole like right now i've got a real problem with um it's not beetlejuice it's basil juice which is just a stupid name for a dragon but it's basically just like a it just shows up all of the fucking time fires exploding darts into the ground and fucks off again and it's massive and it just bellows at you and then fights whatever you're fighting and then gets bored and you and the monster you're fighting both run away (laughs) and then like we'll regroup later for killing each other (laughs) it's real good i like it a lot but that's by the by what's your weakness pip do you have a genre that you i don't know i think hmm hmm i feel like you like things with where you can have like a i'm just thinking of a subnautica base but then also you're really into <laughs> slime rancho right yeah i think i like those kinds of quite relaxed not necessarily farming things, but things where there are some really satisfying collecting. Gardening. Groups. It's, it, yeah, it's kind of gardening, but it's also curating and, um, design as well, because it, uh, the Subnautica base stuff, I got a lot of pleasure out of making, uh, it, uh, treating it almost like the, the build parts of The Sims. You know, just, mm. you know, the, the actual layouts of a thing or, you know, taking into account, you know, whether I could, um, uh, oh, what's it called? You know, when you, you're bodging something together, like not glitching, but, you know, like, um, I was trying to work out whether there were any sort of workarounds that would mm. let me do things that the game hadn't intended but that would end up making a thing look a bit more homely or a bit more yeah you know interesting things like that so i I went back to minecraft for the first time in a long time the other week because they had the update aquatic hit uh java version and so i went in and just had a little look around followed some turtles built an underwater base which is probably more of a lair at the moment because i'm trying to work out how you can make people get sucked into it but never be able to leave it (laughs) except i can leave it (laughs) so hotel california but also bioshock 
because you can make a bubble column that uh, you can make like either a whirlpool or a, an air column that pushes up. And so the, the whirlpool one will suck things down towards the bottom of the sea. So I made that the entrance way to my base and then have the, the blowing version be the exit. And I'm considering trying to rig up some kind of redstone activation for that if possible hmm. so that i could theoretically lock people in my underwater prison <laughs> <laughs> we all I gotta have goals know. yeah sometimes you just can't stop doing that one thing in a game you always do <laughs> yeah. but it's yeah it's i think it's nesting it's just <laughs> making a nest in a game mm. that i then no one can decorate leave. with twigs and <laughs> attractive plants <laughs> you like your puzzle games as well I do. I love a good puzzle game. I love a good casual game as well. You know, mm. love me some match three, some hidden object stuff. Also, massively hardcore esports MOBA type <laughs> stuff. So, I think that's the thing is like it's either it's from either end. Like mm. there's there's the part for me that is really into the hyper competitive stuff that has like a community scene around it, and then there's the other the other end of that spectrum when I've sort of gorged on the you know on mobas and whatever and i'm suddenly like i want to be alone and build a castle in which to be alone with maybe some turtles that i've trapped (laughs) (laughs) there are actually bats in my cave in my in my lair because i think a cave accidentally spawned and i don't really want to interact with the cave in case it suddenly fills with water um but yeah so that's a bit of a worry but you can hear them flapping around Shall we do some questions from questions? Yeah. Because it's getting a little bit humid in this room and I want to go to sleep. <laughs> uh, we're going to do a mix of some new questions and a question or two from the pile that accumulated for episode 250. Thank you again for sending in questions. Sorry if we don't get around to your question. First question comes from perennial long question man Kane. And in tribute to his very long question, I'm going to read the end of it, basically. Um, but Kane, uh, Kane's uh, email uh, covers the topic of... Uh, skill and skill uh, ceilings in games and how every player has a natural level that they may or may not hit um, and how uh, games are inevitably divided both in terms of the communities and also in terms of who people design for and who is the optimal target of a given balance pass or whatever on a game uh, anyway the question is is telling someone who's hit their personal skill cap to get good basically the same as telling poor people upset about housing prices to simply set aside $50,000 a year while living rent free with the rich parents etc 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 is the focus on the desires and demands of the skill bourgeois ruining gaming for the skill proletariat uh is a revolution to overthrow the oppression of the competitive minority long overdue or should salty nubs just call the wambulance regards uh kane um so yes that is the question i feel like there are at least several issues with that direct analogy but um, mm. i do take the basic yeah. point <laughs> yes I, I agree as well um uh it's well i can see what you mean because it's saying your advice to someone is simply do something impossible um but uh yeah let's not focus on the analogy quite so much but like the uh the substance of the thing and i i for what it's worth kind of um agree broadly well i think I think the assumption that games require challenge is dead now, hopefully, but doesn't, Do like, well, I, I feel like, you know, if, if you pay any attention to games whatsoever, like it's, it's very hard to argue for, like people still do. That's not to say that like 
um, people can't find. Yeah, like the idea that all games must have challenge, must be yes. challenging is is yeah, it's just like a, now yeah. at this point. I, I, I feel like okay, yeah. not not that people won't try and argue it, um, but I'm saying those people are categorically wrong. <laughs> Something that popped into my head about this. Well, there's a few different things. Um, so one is about. <sighs> I guess basic capitalism, which is essentially pushing you towards something, whether it's attainable or not, right? It's the sense of you can be better, you can get better, you just need to spend more time or money mm. or this or that, and then you will be beautiful or young or successful, right? There's, there's that that is a core loop that keeps you coming back to the game that you will, you know, buy into that industry and you will continue to invest in trying to achieve. Mm a victory of some kind, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's sort of a, a little bit of it. Another thing that I just want to do for my own peace of mind, and I hope I don't do it ham-fistedly, is that, like, I think that the conversation about sort of games and the challenges they present gets tangled up in conversations about accessibility. And I think that they often have different slants. It's Mm. not about wanting an easier version. It's about wanting to be able to have a way to engage with the idea or the concept or, you know, whatever, and sort of meeting people where they're at and taking account of particular accessibility challenges. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. So I think that's that's just one thing that I wanted to sort of throw out there cuz I think it's it's something to sort of bear in mind and make sure that this isn't entirely a conversation about, you know, what a a, a person who doesn't have any of those you know considerations yeah. thinks or does or mm. reacts to. I thought Celeste had a good handling of this where it had um it's a hardcore platformer along lines of like super meat boy and stuff like that uh where you know traditionally it's considered that the whole point of the game is that it's difficult and that you know having an easy mode would be defeating the point but um they still added an accessibility menu uh which included things like slowing down just the whole time scale of the game uh all the way to just making you totally invulnerable you just can't die at all mm. um and they just sort of I can't remember exactly how they phrased it, but they, they basically said, you know, uh, the game is meant to be played as is, but if you need these accessibility options, they're here. Um, and mm. that was good, uh, for sort of establishing, you know, a range of, um, of options without confusing the issue of like, what is the game? Like for, if you don't have any, um, uh, problems with the, uh, the sort of default way the game works then you just play it as is um if you do then it's totally up to you how you tweak it and just slowing down the game is not something i've seen before actually and that was Mm. that's probably quite a good catch-all for a lot of accessibility issues like there are a lot of things where it's just about like how fast can you do these multiple different things Mm. Mm. i think um it will be out actually by the time this podcast airs uh the new issue of pc gamer um has a a feature written by Edwin about Overwatch and about character design and how there's tension within that community as to uh, 
balance passes over particular heroes and what that has sort of said or implied about the uh the idea of who the game is in air quotes for mm. in terms of you know um taking away certain uh abilities because they were perceived as not using skills in the yeah. sense that the the players at the elite level consider skillful or fair or fun to play against and this happened with like symmetra's uh mm. gun yeah. right they used to sort of lock on to people and just hit them as yeah. long as um and like that was deemed you know like playing on easy mode and therefore you know and, and, and so there were it. a lot of people who gravitated towards it not because it was easy or you know but because it allowed them to have a character they could play and they enjoyed the the other things that she did or that she mm. brought to the table, her ultimate, you know, things like that. Whereas, and Mercy is the other one, the other sort of big sticking point in that game. Yeah. Symmetra, they changed it, right? So she was... They, she, they changed her role completely. She has to aim mm -hmm. now. Yeah, she moved, right? they moved her into the damage category. She's not right. a support anymore. Like, mm. they completely redesigned huh. But Mercy still it does have a lock-on heal beam, right? Yeah, she does. But they changed a lot of things about Mercy generally. Like, and Mercy's her, been chain nerfed. Her ultimate isn't Valkyrie anymore. That's a regular ability, right? Like Res is no res. longer her. Valkyrie has her old. Oh, sorry. Her old ult. Her old ultimate. You could resurrect your entire team. Now it's a targeted thing. And now it's like a one-person yeah. targeted thing. With yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but anyway, so that was that's a, a really interesting piece. So I would totally recommend reading it if you if you are in a, a good news agent. Um, <laughs> I, I buy it also. No, 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 just read it in the news agents, I should stress. Um, but also it's one of those things where, um, uh, yeah, it sort of speaks to this, this idea of, you know, what good play looks like, what skillful play looks like, what, you know, what the, the people who make the game value or what they want to balance around or the members of the community that they're specifically listening to. Mm. And some of the people that Edwin talks to in the feature are sort of talking about why they initially gravitated towards, um, towards the game and why they don't necessarily feel that they, have a place in it anymore or why that is sort of been thrown into question or the relationship with the game has changed and so that that was sort of really interesting especially in relation to this um yeah i don't know what do you think chris um so i think every game has i think the, the key is simply to know who your audience um who your game is for and ensuring that you are catering to that person. I think there's, there's two levels of this issue. One is that there is a broad sense, um, you know, there's a broad sense of games as something that need to require the ability to master or need to be mastered. And that is often led by minority people capable of, of mastering them. But that's not, that is never universally true in terms of what's qualitatively good about a game or, or particularly useful to developers. Even if you balanced guitar hero around what the best guitar hero players can do versus what the vast majority of people do with guitar hero, you end up with an unplayable game, uh, mm -hmm. to the people who actually play it for, you know, what it's quote unquote built for. In fact, I think that's a useful example because that's an example where the two can kind of exist harmoniously. The people modding hyper competitive, hyper complicated tracks into guitar hero simply to have something to do because they've mastered everything else 
uh, know that they are the exception. They know that them having to modify the game simply to be able to push it further mm. um, is something that is almost a testament to their skill because it was built as a party game with difficulty levels and, and ways to participate at different levels, but nonetheless built as a sort of um, something for a lot of people to enjoy with obvious accessibility caveats that come in with the nature of the same system. The orange key. Exactly. Well, exactly. <laughs> My hand is too small. I have to um, play the whatever the level is that only has four easy keys. Yeah. Yeah. yeah probably. Yeah. Not. And the fact that you can set difficulty on an instrument by instrument mm. basis so that your friends can play together, that kind of thing. I can reach the orange key, but I'm not skillful enough to press it. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the thing I would say is that like, I think that's a positive example because that's where it should almost always go. Like mm. if your community is ever modding something to make the game palatable to a certain subset of players, if you're doing it right, it should be the players who want it to be harder that are modding it rather than people who are simply modding it to make it available to them mm. at all. And that, mm. that then links difficulty to accessibility. Yeah. Um, there are also, in terms of mods, there are also things like no enemy mods and things, which are kind of yeah. interesting. And we have a special feature on that, actually, um, again, in the magazine. It's a great issue. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, like, um, something that popped into my head, as you said um about the Guitar Hero difficulty settings is I think I like it in games where they find a different way of referring to the settings, even if it needs a bit of mm. explanation plenty, next for to example. the thing. <laughs> well, but, you know, so if you're saying that something is normal, mm. that that carries so many assumptions about the the gaming world and it carries so much sort of I feel shame or I used to feel shame before I decided just sod that this is ridiculous but if I wasn't playing something on at least normal difficulty mm. because it's kind of like oh okay you're not I mean and this sort of speaks to a load of other deeply ingrained problems um about sort of who feels like they belong in games anyway but it's that thing of like oh well if you completed it on easy did you really even complete it like, mm. you know, did you, you didn't really play the game. You played like a, a light version of the game. Mm. Yeah, and I surprise. So um, you know, it's, it's great that some games you can change that after you start, but I was surprised to hear from like, um, some friends who are, uh, I can't remember what game it was, but something like Prey where, uh, they were just having a, like a brutal time with difficulty, just way, way too hard, not enjoying it anymore, probably going to quit playing. And they're playing on normal and there isn't easy and they can switch mid game, but they just will not do it because it's called easy. Like, oh, <laughs> even yeah. though they know they need it and they're literally saying this game is too hard for me. I can't play it. They still yeah. can't I play it. I if you numbered them, it'd be fine. Yeah. You I have three difficulties that. and it's one, two and three and it or if it, to two. You know, or if it says scenic and then a, an explanation of what it changes or, yeah. you know, like I quite, I like, um, it, it's not quite the same, but in something like Subnautica, where it has very different, if it, it has modes. a bunch of different modes in which you can play survival, mm. you know, from yeah. absolutely sandboxy, do what you want to, you know, proper hardcore, proper, there you go again, but, well, there yeah. I go again, but, um, it, I like the more options you get, the more you can kind of just sort of tailor it and have an experience with the game but i yeah i think that calling i don't know calling something scenic or you know mm. story mode or you know so it, i think having descriptions like i think mass effect 3 did this well because that, that was the first time bioware did like story mode um where the combat's basically trivial and it's just having a description that goes with it saying this is for players who value these things yeah and so it's not about where you measure against the population it's about you bought this piece of entertainment what kind of entertainment do you want we have this in several modes mm. um it's been kind of interesting watching uh, 
Slave Aspire deal with this. Um, and this, uh, it follows a trend I like, uh, especially in roguelikes where the, there's just, the default way to play is the easiest possible way to play. There's, um, that's as easy as it ever gets. There is no kind of, um, you know, normal is easy basically. And then if you want it to be harder, there's all these extra options that kind of get unlocked afterwards that, um, it has a thing called ascension mode, which, um, just uh, sort of stacks on extra difficulties, but you start again from scratch. It's not like a, you're not continuing on from your last run. You just, uh, you're playing the game from scratch, but you have a bunch of things stacked against you. And the ascension modes go like, uh, you have to complete it to unlock the first ascension mode. And then after you complete it on ascension one, you unlock ascension two. And I think they got to like 15 or more and <laughs> just stacking on more and more problems and making it harder and harder. Um, and that seems to work really well. I hear people in our, our roguelikes channel on the discord, um, talking all the time about, oh, I've just done ascension eight with the, the silent, um, and being really pleased at those achievements. I, I think I played, I think I won an ascension one with the silent and then I never played the ascension modes ever again because <laughs> like, uh, there's not so much because of the difficulty as like, uh, I just want to win every time really. <laughs> like that's mm. my just, that's the thing that complicates this. Like there's accessibility, there's player skill, and then there's also player preference. And my player preference is different to most people, which is I just want to win every time I play. I, I almost never want to fail. I want that to be like, if I really, I should know even before it happens that, oh, I fucked this up because I did something stupid. That's the only time I should ever fail. Every other time I should win and just how much I win by should be the only variable, which is kind of like, uh, you know, I, that's, I have no shame about playing on easy. I play lots of games on easy just cause I want, I prefer to have that kind of balance. Hmm. Good question. Yeah. Our next, oh, unless you got more to add, Pip? No, just that like, um, possibly a request because, um, obviously, elements of the issue we finished working on a little while ago um that will now be out um touched on stuff like this so i've sort of been trying to sneak in little bits of reading on the subjects i'm aware that it's a bit of a blind spot for me Hmm. um and so if anyone has any particularly interesting sort of um articles that they've seen around and about on accessibility and difficulty settings and people doing interesting things around that i'd actually be really interested for people to maybe tweet them at me Mm. or it's um at philippa war which is p-h-i-l-i-p-p-a-w-a-r-r because yeah like i've not had much time to actually sit and Mm. scout things out our next question comes from colthor who writes uh two two semi-sonic warriors uh, an evil wizard has trapped you and anyone you care about in a pocket universe to release them. You must decide on one thing to purge from all games past and future. His list of examples include, uh, DRM boss fights, in-game purchases, uh, etc. Um, uh, basically bad business, artistic and technical decisions. Which one do you eradicate? Thanks for asking Colthor. Mine would be missions where you got to follow that guy. And if you get too close, you fail. And if you get too far away, you fail. Uh, especially the too far away condition, because mm. it's always like, oh, you lost him. But often you can still see the guy. He's right there. <laughs> like, <laughs> or even if you can't, if you actually just let, like, gave me a couple more seconds, I would get back to where they were. I haven't actually lost them. It's like the measure of whether I've lost them should be, do I know where they are? 
if I yeah. do, I haven't lost them. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that's a staple of the Assassin's Creed series of like for about three or four games. That was half the missions, it seemed. Um, and, uh, it's especially bad. There's extra bonus bad points for if, uh, you know, losing the person results in mission failure and you have to repeat it. But then if you do catch them, it results in a cutscene where your character loses them. <laughs> and that's the actual, like, how the story progresses is that you lost them in the chase. Because it's like, wh- why weren't the other eight times I lost him canon? <laughs> <laughs> I think... Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Pip. I think for me, it tends to be the thing I'm most angry with right this moment, and I will not be dissuaded right up until the next thing comes (laughs) along. I would go for unlock mechanics in online competitive multiplayer games Hmm. of any kind. Um, I, uh, I don't think you can make a case for them from a player point of view. I'm saying that right now. I'm going to throw that out there. I think you can only make a case for them from a, well, Okay, if you were to make the case, it would be something that no player really wants to have to think about like this. It would be that they enhance engagement, they keep people grinding away at them, and as long as people are grinding away at them, there are people to play against. It shouldn't be down to that. You should just make a game that's so good people don't want to leave. (laughs) So do you think that there is any merit in um, the fact that you've spent time to earn a thing? Like the, the idea of earning? I think you do if that earning process is something that sort of like, if there's like an ecosystem of earning, which makes me sound like a Tory MP, but I'm going to say it. Makes you sound like you're on stage at E3. It's, well, both. Like, <laughs> on I mean, an earnings call. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, what I mean is I, I, could, I can sort of excuse games like uh, Destiny from this because there's so many different ways of earning stuff in that game. You can always be having fun doing something different. You can be playing solo. You can be playing with friends. You can be playing story stuff. You can be doing dungeons. You can be doing PvP. The MMO model is actually fine. That's why I've specified sort of purely competitive games. Okay. Um, because you, and also because often balance is sort of flattened out for PvP, ironically. Uh, and it's because you've got so much to do that you're always kind of busy. So hang on. Is it that you hate those mechanics or you hate them when there aren't enough of them to well, distract you with a lot of hand waving i think it actively <laughs> hurts a certain type of game specifically shooters okay because i think there's a from a design point of view uh something that i well something that i enjoy about sh- multiplayer competitive shooters traditionally that is killed by this mechanic is the sense that you get given this big sandbox full of stuff and it can be intimidating at first to know which kind of weapons to use and, and how to position yourself and how to do how to how to configure your class your way but there's lots to learn and there's lots of things to explore and that exploration is simply gated by your curiosity and your ability to read guides and talk to other players not by the fact that you've got to play for 10 hours to get this particular gun. And if you haven't played this class this much, then maybe the play style for this class that you actually enjoy is locked away behind 20 hours of grinding. It's just basically what I'm saying is tribes was perfect and every other game is going fucking wrong. <laughs> Wondered like, how long it would be. <laughs> well, because it's an example, US. right? Like, um, you know, I just don't think, I honestly don't think you can make a case for it except for that player retention thing. And players don't want to be thinking about player retention. I wonder whether you could make a case for it, but only in very specific circumstances. So, for example, um, like with limited hero pools or something where you're, you're starting out with a game and you are playing with like a limited set of what's available. So you don't immediately get overwhelmed, but everybody else is in that same boat. Yeah, so this as long is the thing. You I think I just, I against. miss, I miss games simply trusting the player to not to manage their own 
like because because things like limited pools are often then it's very rare that something like a limited pool is attached to a system which isn't then going to commodify that thing in some way either behind money or behind a time gate or grinding or whatever system it is like it's you know i wouldn't i don't i'm not opposed to like uh limited like well for example like dota is uh, for my money the only mobile that gets this right like because it does have a limited mode and it is wholly optional because unlimited mode is there as well. Like that, that, that makes sense to me because it means that again, you are given the responsibility for your own experience. It's when games sort of basically pretend that they're being accessible, but they're actually introducing you to a pay with money or time ecosystem. I, I don't know. think they can be both as in, I think that I, I like that. I don't think this is necessarily what games are doing, so I don't want to, you know, come down on their side mm. and it be just actually, no, it is just a commercial thing and I'm just, you know, wrong. Um, but I do think that it's, I think that the language of whether a game trusts you or not is a bit complicated. Like I, I would often be, uh, Take Rainbow Six Siege, for example. Mm-hmm. I won't play that game because I tried it and it was overwhelmingly complicated, but it felt like everyone was expecting me to be good at it without mm. having any space in which to practice. And so that was me kind of done with that whole experience because yeah. there was no there was no middle ground. There was no safe place in which to earn those skills to learn the mechanics to figure out where i fitted within the yeah within a team it's it's siege i think that's a very specific problem to siege actually like it's it's both very high stakes and very class-based like it's not like counter-strike where it's like i understand what went wrong because we're just gun people in a gun world it's like siege is both like it's a strange combination of things it's like it's both highly lethal highly twitch based highly playbook based so if you don't know the specific way to play a map you're you're screwed even if you know your character like it's 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 knowledge gates all the way down and it's good once you've cracked it but i don't i'm not sure that that's a problem that siege even solves by limiting your access to parts bits of it and the only thing it can do to make it easier for you is the single player stuff that it does um, and, and that is never going to teach you the things that you need to know for actual multi multiple player i think there are things it could possibly do in a in a limiting capacity mm. that that would be better experience but i don't know how much that would be universal and how much that would be this is how i would better learn yeah and also i I think some of that stuff would be very specific to siege because Mm -hmm. like i don't think i think siege is almost a standout game in terms of how many different ways it finds to be hard to learn Mm. in addition to the fact that also it's you know if you go for the cheapest version then you're also grinding to unlock operators and things before you find the one you actually like yeah that's why i get rid of that basically isn't it crazy how tf2 did all this (laughs) like they would introduce new unlockables for a class and then you'd have to get all the achievements for that class to get those and the achievements were often just really stupid things that were not at all about playing the game well and so everyone just did those dumb achievements for a couple of weeks (laughs) (laughs) i remember um a little while ago i had to write or check a, a summary someone had written of how uh, PUBG's cosmetics system worked and I was just like... Some bonkers. 
Holy heck, that is a mess and a half, and it is not possible to condense it to like shorter than, <laughs> you know, a chapter. <laughs> then you go here, and then this happens, and then you unlock this, and then you unlock basically a chance to get another chest, and who did, oh. Yeah. Mm. And then the chest contains a sock. <laughs> oh, it's just, oh, it's a shirt. Great. Mm. Brilliant. It's like TM Lewin. Our final question of the evening comes from Alex, who writes, uh, Dear ladies and sirs and ladies, I'm becoming a father soon, very soon. Our daughter could come any day now. And this question was sent 11 days ago because it was one of the ones sent in for 250. So, uh, congratulations. Hope all's well. Yeah. Hope everyone is healthy and happy. Uh, um, before my gaming life becomes a baby and a switch for the foreseeable future, I decided that I would start and finish The Witcher 3 and expansions before it becomes impossible. Started in April, finished tonight. Taking about four months in all. PUBG distractions made things take a little longer, but all in all, Geralt has been my gaming life all summer. What a fucking masterpiece that game is. Several of you know that already, so I won't dwell on its merits. Here comes the question. It's very rare the game inspires me to get all its achievements, almost never now that I'm in my 30s. Witcher 3 is now one of those games, 100% for the main game in the expansions, because as Chris once very well put it, we Mass Effect, it's a nod to the developer for creating such an experience that you loved so much. Yakuza 0 was the one before this because that's also a fucking masterpiece. Big old smiley face. What about you folks? What has recently inspired you to go all of the way? Does anything any more different smiley face? Take care, Alex. And sorry we're not answering this question in time to help. (laughs) But it's an interesting question, so. Into the Breach because it locked a squad behind all (laughs) the um, uh, all the achievements and that motivated me to nearly get them all and then it motivated me to give up and cheat (laughs) to get the squad. You're not being a very good brand ambassador right now. <laughs> yeah, I think <laughs> cheating I ways. Keep, I'm at the point with Monster Hunter now where I'm kind of like at the sort of you can literally make a shopping list in game and it'll collect all the crafting materials you need for the items you want and then you can just look at that when you're open the world and like, do I have enough horns? Not yet. <laughs> um, and that's the point where you're like, I can I can perceive that there are different ways of maxing out that game from simply like I've seen all the monsters and done everything, which is probably the healthy point to stop. To I have a tool for every single possible occasion. And I can see the temptation of both. And I think that's because, again, to return to an earlier point, I enjoy the minute, I enjoy the look and feel of that world and the minute to minute of it so much that, um, I feel compelled to just invest in it until I don't like it anymore, which might be another 50 hours from now, realistically. And that's a nice feeling because it's like, <laughs> there's nothing I fundamentally don't like about this is sort of the thing I look for. Like I find that there's plenty of very worthy open world games where I haven't necessarily stuck with them because, you know, I'm not like having an amazing, like, I don't know. I find it really hard to kind of describe exactly what it is that keeps me going with something. Like I'm still playing Zelda Breath of the Wild, which is sort of objectively probably one of the best games from the last, you know, couple of years in terms of its systems. It's extraordinary piece of design. I don't know. I've failed at it many a time. But this is the thing. I think it lacks. I think if you're talking about what it lacks, I think it lacks something kind of minute to minute and grabby, whatever form that takes. It's, it is laudably unwilling to rope you in with some kind of cheap engagement mechanic, like leveling or something like that. It doesn't want you to do that. In fact, it does things the opposite of the things everything other game does in terms of giving you more freedom and more more power to be creative with its mechanics and more encouragement to go out and try new things. All the things we say we want games to do and it doesn't do the grindy, you're a level four link now kind of stuff. 
and it's almost worse for it, which makes me feel bad about me. <laughs> Don't feel bad about that. Just go back and play Ocarina of Time. <laughs> yeah. Because that was the pinnacle of the medium. <laughs> and I am still a young person. <laughs> no, I, I don't know. I, I think I've got two games on the go at the moment, which is unusual for me. One is Undertale and one is Hollow Knight. Mm. Um, and I think the point that I was going to make with them was that it, I've owned them both for a fairly long time. And I've been interested in them for a fairly long time. At least, um, Hollow Knight I was, but it is, it, it has bite, bided its time until now to be the right game at the right time, if that makes sense. So I wasn't particularly worried when I didn't want to play Undertale before. I wasn't, you know, mm. upset that I wasn't sitting down with Hollow Knight, even though I thought it looked beautiful and had spoken to the developers about the, um, the art style previously but it was one of those things where apparently now in this the year of luigi 5 um the year of the death of luigi if you will um that i finally got the um the urge to play it and it actually hooked mm. into to something in my brain and and i've made meaningful progress and intend to to continue um and undertale it was slightly different it was that thing of um people who know you telling you that a game is very you and you'll love it and i've had so many not great recommendations off the back of that that was <laughs> and I, I kind of worry about it because people are like oh people love this and it's kind of like it's quite a boring thing with quite a sort of you know, nice art style, but it doesn't. Really, and I'm like, oh, is that what you think of me? It's just you know, it's got some bright colours and it that you don't really do much. Oh, um. So I've had quite a few, I guess, false starts with things that people have recommended, and I think I initially rebelled a bit against being so so aggressively pigeonholed with Undertale, and then. Um, and then I didn't want to play it because so many people had written so many, um, opinion pieces about it that I kind of knew that as soon as anything in what they'd said or tweeted started to mean something, it would spoil something. <laughs> so, yeah, so I didn't, um, want to get on that bandwagon and then I figured enough time had passed. So I went to the Steam page and downloaded it while it was downloading. I feel like I got a massive spoiler from a PC Gamer article oh, and no. dragged into the news feed for that page. <laughs> Fucking so, PC Gamer. <laughs> so, and I, I genuinely don't know if it's a spoiler and I kind of don't want to know because at the moment I'm still telling myself mm. it, it might well have meant nothing. Um, but if this makes you think, oh yeah, I've got Undertale, maybe I should install that. Like, keep your hand on the thing until you've, you know, until you're not looking at the bit with the news <laughs> on it, or get a friend to like click play for you. Um, yeah, I. But the, get it off Steam. <laughs> I'm sure there's a non-Steam version out there. But I think uh, the thing that that is gradually leading me on to and i'm very sorry we can all move on with our lives in a moment um is that 
I I will play things through to completion if I'm doing it for a work review. But at this point, I if a game isn't grabbing me, I actually don't feel bad about that. It's you know that's fine. It's it's annoying if it's expensive or it's you know uh, hopefully within the refund period or whatever. But um, it's it, it's one of those things where I'm not actually worried about that it just you know it's not the right thing at the right time and I can usually either wait and it'll have its moment um I'm actually still you know I've got the Witcher 3 but I'm just waiting until (laughs) you know there's a solid block of time that I can actually sink into it without other things needing to to have my attention um but yeah it's I think I don't know if that answers the question at all but (laughs) How about you, Tom? I'm I'm forcing myself to give more things a chance, but in response to, you know, keep it manageable, I'm also being harsher than ever with, with like, how quickly I'll bail <laughs> given that chance. I'll just be like, okay, I've given it five minutes, I don't fucking like it. <laughs> <laughs> and it may well get ten times better later, but I just don't have the energy to find out. <laughs> Do people's recommendations mean that you are more likely to persevere with something? Um, yes. Um, but I do have a similar thing where like, um, uh, not to talk about too much, but Breath of the Wild was heavily recommended to me by everyone. I did love it for like 10 hours and then I really just fell off a cliff with it. Not a cliff in the game, but just, (laughs) um, it hasn't drawn me back at all. And when I've tried to go back, when I forced myself to go back, it, it's just sort of felt, you know, punishing and, um, and, I haven't felt like there's anything out there for me in, in it. Every shrine I go into is just another boss fight and I can't do any of them. And um, all the systems stuff, I see videos of people doing cool things, but I never do those cool things or get into any situation where I can think of any of those cool things to do, which sounds a lot like what people tell me about Deus Ex and all the games I'm I love. I <laughs> thinking, hang on, are you me? And is this like Dishonored 2 or something? Yeah, it's weird. It must be something about the, the systemsiness uh, or the, the situations it puts you in, I think. It just like... Um, in an immersive sim, the situations have been designed to kind of draw those things out of you. It's just like, well, you can't take these four guys on straight on. So how are you going to do it? What, which vent are you going to uh, go okay. in? Which item are you going to use here? And, you know, if it's done well, it doesn't feel like it's been designed. And if it's done really well, it actually hasn't been, the solution I end up doing hasn't been designed. But, um, Breath of the Wild isn't, uh, the shrines are designed, but then like the sort of open world stuff. It always just felt like a bunch of enemies who were going to hit me with their weapons unless I hit them with my weapons first. <laughs> yeah. I think Breath of the Wild, I had two very sort of specific problems. And one was that I couldn't reliably remember where I was supposed to be going. You know, it, it felt like because it didn't want to tell me where to go, it also just didn't even give me a hint a bunch yeah. of time. So is, that would... on, is that once you leave the plateau? Yeah, and so I booted it up. I was at the top of a mountain dying of cold and I just, I didn't remember why I was there. I didn't know where I was going. I couldn't figure out how to get down. I just, oh. But the other thing was I kind of figured that because of the systemsiness, it was entirely possible I'd got myself into an unmanageable situation and so mm. it just felt kind of... I because I couldn't guarantee that I wasn't in an impossible situation I didn't I I lost the will to spend the time finding out whether I was or not (laughs) Mm. 
Thank you very much for your question, Alex. I hope all's well with baby. Mm. And thank you to everyone who sent us questions. If you'd like to send us a question for a future episode, you can email us the questions at creightoncrowbar.com. You can also tweet us at creightoncrowbar. Find us on YouTube at youtube.com forward slash creightoncrowbar. And on Patreon uh, at patreon.com forward slash creightoncrowbar. Thanks very much to all of our backers. We had a big wave of new backers recently. Thank you very much if you recently chose to uh, support us and our spin-off pods of varying sorts. Uh, if you would like to follow us as individuals, that's the next bit of the outro, isn't it? Mm. I'm on Twitter at C Thurston. That's C-T-H-U-R-S-T-E-N. Pip. I barely use Twitter right now, but I will check it for, for these potentially cool articles. So cool links. At Philippa War, which is P-H-I-L-I-P-P-A-W-A-R-R. I am at Pentadact, P-E-N-T-A-D-A-C-T. Lovely. Thanks for listening, everybody. everybody.